It is with humble hearts, O God, that we come to this glorious passage. It is the capstone on top of the monument of this glorious chapter in your wonderful word. Begins with no condemnation. And it ends with no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, how I pray that that would ring true in all of our hearts and bring to us not just a smile on our face, but a, a joy in our hearts. Even a peace in the midst of our lives. As events around us seem to clamor for our attention like waves on a mighty sea, wondering if we're going to go under or not. I pray, O oh God, that you would speak the words once again, peace, be still. Bring about a peace that passes all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Bring about a peace that the world is striving to gain in its own strength, but yet we find it to be lacking in many ways. Bring about a peace, O oh Lord God, that no matter what storm we may be facing right now in our own personal lives, that it is there that you will meet us and carry us through. Teach us this day, Holy Spirit, the depth of these words. Allow us the privilege to see the intent by which they were penned so that we can also associate ourselves with the ones to whom Paul was writing to the church at Rome. And as the world would clamor around us, situations seem to be on every corner we look at it and wonder, oh Lord God, how long before you blow the last trumpet and shout with the voice of an archangel to take us home to be with you? That we don't know, but yet we are called in your word to stand fast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. Teach us this day, Holy Spirit, the wonder of these words. And allow us just to bask in the love of God that we have difficulty in understanding, but yet we thank you for it. And it's in Christ's name we ask these things. We pray for our teenagers as they have been exposed, I'm sure, to fun things, but they've also been exposed to the teaching of your word. 
may that also be impacting upon them today. Give to them, Lord, by your grace. Give them traveling mercies on their way home. And may we as a congregation become excited as they are for the things that they've learned about you and things they've learned about themselves. We look forward to the time of when they'll be able to share. Then to God, we thank you for the evidence of answered prayer. My brother Brian Dyer is here with us this morning. Thank you that he's recovering well. I thank you that he's listening well to his wife, Judy, that aids in healing. And I pray, God, that you would continue to strengthen him and use him, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. We pray that same for our dear sister, Heather Harner. And we ask that you would move in the midst of her doctors that are ministering to her. I pray, God, that you would move in the ministry of her family that is ministering to her. And may there be a great resolve, a great hallelujah and what you will have for them as they wait for you, O Lord God, to direct, to heal, and to provide. For the many others that cannot be here this morning because of other illnesses, whether it is as extreme as cancer and COVID, I pray, O oh God, for your healing of them. And may you move in their midst as we're asking you to move in our midst this morning here to bring about a deeper understanding of how great and how wonderful you must love us. And for these things, we praise you. And we'll always be thankful. For it is in the name of Christ our Savior we ask these things. Amen. I'm sure that there have been times that you have received in the mail invitations, not necessarily to parties or graduations or weddings, but a letter from a credit card company that has declared that you have been pre-approved for one of their cards. And in it, they tell you how much is available for you, but what they don't tell you is that it is a setup. It is a way of them being able to garner off of you extra funds known as interest. We know that it is a ploy, it's a joke. As one guy says, it's a jip. We used to, word, we used to use that term when I was in high school when you're waiting in line for the lunch line and you're not supposed to jip in front of somebody. 
Well, it's a trick. But God has also pre-qualified us for righteousness. Unlike credit card companies, the trickery that they put in, God has not in any way going to charge you interest. God has pre-qualified us by already applying the righteousness of Christ to our account. We call it being justified. The price has been paid for our salvation. Christ has shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, the writer of Hebrews tells us. And Jesus willingly shed his blood in order to satisfy the glory and sinlessness of God. In this pre-qualification, if you want, want to know, not only has our debt been paid, but it never runs out. If I may quote just one theme from a credit card company, you won't ever have to worry about leaving home without it. It's always there. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul closes out one of the greatest chapters in all of the greatest book known as chapter 8 of Romans. This particular chapter closes by pointing us to God's sufficiency and his love in meeting all of life's circumstances. In other words, no matter what you will throw what the world will throw at you, you have a savior who won't leave you. I'm sure you've heard the statements and maybe have even uttered them yourself. But sometimes we say things like, well, if God really loved me, then why is this happening? We doubt the sufficiency of our Savior. You may never understand, you may never even know, you may not even come to that place where you fully are given the answer of why things happen to you the way that things happen. But the Apostle Paul wants to assure us that God's love has never left you. He will never turn his back on you. And thus we come to our passage this morning, and it begins by an interesting question when it says, what then are we to say about these things? It's an interesting question. It's a contemplative question. It would be the kind of question that theologians get around the table and they start hammering one another on what they understand or at least what they think about that particular question. What should we think about these things. There are some theologians that 
tell us we need to go all the way back to chapter 3 of the book of Romans and begin to contemplate as chapter 3 opens up, realizing that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And how God in his sufficiency has provided a way of escape that even as the Apostle Paul closes out chapter 7, oh wretched man that I am, who can separate me? Who is it that can rescue me from this dilemma? And we understand that to be the fight between the flesh and the spirit. And then chapter 8, gloriously trumpets, for thou there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We could literally stop there, but the Apostle Paul didn't. Because what is amazing, and maybe we haven't focused on it enough, but in all of chapter 8, there is the realization that the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in our salvation, in our sanctification. And now we come to the close. What then are we to say about these things? Can I give you a one-word answer? Nothing. Let's close in prayer. There's nothing you can say. For all that God has done, what can we say about that? Oh, we may put the praise on and, and, and really get going in some of the songs that I really enjoy singing and leading. Even the song this morning, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. What do we say about that? Now, if we just only quoted half of the next statement, we could write a litany of those who are against us. Who can be against us? Government. Illnesses, finances, all of that is against us. Uh, let me refresh your memory of what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 15 when he said, they hate me, they're going to hate you. That's paraphrasing the fact that you're not getting through this life on an easy street. People are going to be against you. If you've been, like me, watching what is happening to the north of our border, you realize that the world is against us. Adopted in the Canadian Constitution, a law that is entitled simply C4. Almost sounds like an explosion stuff instead of a, but it's entitled C4. 
And in the wording of that law, anyone, any institution that would speak out against the LGBTQ group and others, you are arrested and thrown in prison for five years, no questions asked, no trial. You're guilty. Lest we forget, that can very well seep down to the United States. The world is against us. But I got someone else who's greater. Who's against us? Doesn't matter. If God is for us, who can be against you? Doesn't that just sort of lighten up the burden just a little bit? Knowing full well that our God is for us. We have the saying now that's on the street. He's got our back. Well, I want to tell you something. He's got our back, our side, and our front. He's got it all. He doesn't leave anything unprotected. He doesn't leave anything unprized. We belong to him and him alone. And now Paul lays out this wonderful litany of truth. That if God is for us, who can be against us? Why? The proof is this. He gave his son. His son died and it goes on to say in verse 32, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Now be careful. Do not try to shoehorn anything else in that verse other than what that verse is saying. That does not automatically shield us from sufferings. The Apostle Paul has already addressed that as we looked at that last week. There very well are life situations that God calls us into in order for the purpose of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something, that hurts. It hurts. Yes, it does. But the greater is yet to come. For it goes on to remind us that if God raised Jesus from the dead as proof of his satisfaction of Christ's paying of my penalty and my debt, he's not going to leave us here. No, this isn't home yet. We're not going to get through this home, this world unscathed. We will have scars. But there's going to be a day that tungsten, steel, hips, and knees are going to lay here. 
because we're getting brand new, Bill. We're getting brand new. Something that world sin cannot inhabit. We're going to be made fully in the image of Jesus Christ. From that, though, I, I, I want to draw your attention just, just so quickly, if I may. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is something we need to be made aware of. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter is sort of highlighting, if you will, what Paul has just said. <clears throat> if God is for us, who can be against us? In verse 3, he's referring to God and the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 2. In verse 3, he comes out and says, His divine power has given us Everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that, though they, that through them you may share in the divine name, escaping the corruption that is in this world because of evil desires. If God is for us, who can be against us? For he has given us everything that we need. Everything. In verses 33 to 34, this gets really good. He says, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? I just need to take a side street just for a couple of minutes on this word elect. Do not adulterate that word. Let me help you out. When God's elect, he's not referring to the process of choosing who does and who does not go to heaven. Anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ by grace through faith, instantly, we are one of God's elect. Someone explained it well to me when he said, you come to a door and on the top it says, whosoever will may come. And you walk through and you look at the other side and it says, elected from the foundations of the world. God has not determined who will and who will not. Does he know? For sure he does. But that doesn't mean he's determined. That lays upon each and every individual. So dear brothers and sisters, it's this truth. That if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're one of God's elect. Period. 
He goes on to say, who can bring any accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Oh, this verse, I bet, has got to give Satan indigestion. For he, the word of God tells us in the book of the Revelation that he continually accuses the brethren before God. And it gets him nowhere. We've been declared not guilty. And he can't do a thing about it. Oh, he can try to make you useless. That's what he plans to do, by the way. He'll, he'll tempt you to walk away from Jesus Christ. And then every step you take away from Christ, he's whispering in your ear, you're no good. You're no good. You're no good. But he cannot bring an accusation against us. He may say we're no good, but he can never say you're lost. <laughs> We've been found in Christ. He goes on. Who's the one who condemns? All of these questions here are wonderfully answered by two words. No one. No one. N nobody. No how, no way. As the doorkeeper of the Emerald City, the Wizard of Oz would say, no how, no way. Nobody. We have been justified. Who's the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised he also is at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. Jesus is praying for you right now. It tells us earlier in this passage of book of Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit prays for us when we don't know what to say. It, it groans, and the Spirit helps us to cry, Daddy, help, Abba, Father. The next question, in verses 35 to the end, it says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? You all got the answer? What is it? No one, no one, no thing can separate us from the love of God. He'll never leave us. But notice it says, can affliction or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. I don't need to go in to explain these terminology in the Greek, can I? You understand what he's saying here? You may find yourself in one of these situations, but that cannot separate you from God's love. 
He won't abandon you. No, these aren't things that maybe we would sign up for that can't wait to be starved to death. But even if it comes, that will not stop God's love for us. Because I'm banking on a feast in glory. Prime rib is on the menu. I've been told the Holy Spirit has even asked my wife for her recipe of party potatoes. Lord have mercy. Sanctified party potatoes. Calorie free, but they'll fill you up good. Hallelujah. Yes, we may experience some of these situations, but God's love will never cease. Notice, though, what it says. It quotes a verse out of Psalm 44 and verse 20 because it says, that is as written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. This world wishes to eradicate us from its presence. But the world can't do it. But one day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ arise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. Then the world have at it. We've been set free. Yes, we are sheep. I, I'm not a, an individual who has ever raised a sheep, and I'm not looking forward to raising sheep. But I have been told that they are the dumbest animal there is on the face of the earth. They'll eat things they're not supposed to eat. Do I need to stand to show you? They'll go places they're not supposed to go. And the only one who keeps them alive is the shepherd. When I want to tell you something, I got a great shepherd. I got a great shepherd. And he'll never stop loving me. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone speak to me and say amen. I was impressed this morning as I heard a song. Apparently, according to history, I wasn't there, so I don't know for sure but I'll take the historian's view of it. Apparently at the sinking of the Titanic, 
there were some individuals that gathered on the deck and they began to play a hymn. The hymn was called Nearer My God to Thee. But other than that, I was so impressed by the, by the conductor, the maestro of the Johann Sebastian Symphony in Germany. They were in Amsterdam for a concert. The hall was completely filled. They couldn't shoehorn anyone else in. And he ended that particular performance for he grabbed his violin and he began to play Nearer My God to Thee. When he got to the second stanza, by that time the whole brass section of the orchestra moved out of place of their chairs and they walked and they placed themselves around the people. And they played, Nearer My God to Thee. The third stanza was highlighted by the choir that was singing. They sang, Nearer My God to Thee. The fourth stanza, everybody chimed in. Sometimes it only takes one person to start something that gets everybody involved. Even in the midst of some of the most tragic events, and God may very well be using those events for one thing. Nearer my God to thee. The words of that song are on page 393 in your hymn books. No pianist or organist needed. 393. 